uh, we come to this time of Lent because it's a time for us to examine ourselves. And we, don't, we probably don't do enough of this. We may criticize ourselves, but we don't examine ourselves. And 40 days is what Lent is meant to walk through. Now, if you add up the days from now until Holy Saturday, you're actually going to count more like 46 days. That's because we take Sundays off. Did you know that? Yeah, so if you fast, you get Sunday off. And so then if you count the days up, you have 40. And we, we walk through Lent and we anticipate the empty tomb the same way that we tell the story at Advent of Christ's birth. We tell the story to remember but also to acknowledge that Christ continues to be birthed within us. The same way that we walk towards the empty tomb knowing that as we die to ourselves, we experience a resurrected life. And so we tell the story in anticipation of what God is always up to within us. And Lent is a time for us to really focus in on this mysterious and beautiful and freeing faith that we have that is a journey. And I want to emphasize the journey part because sometimes we get so fixated on the destination. Some of you may be a part of this faith. You may seek Jesus because you're hoping that it will lead you somewhere after you die. Or you'll hope it leads you away from somewhere else after you die. But it's always on the destination. So what does your faith do between now and then? I think Jesus would have a lot to say about that he didn't come here to teach us about these destinations. He came to teach us about the journey. That Jesus came to reveal the kingdom of God here and now. Jesus came to be God with us to reveal in our hearts the truth and to reveal truth in this world. God created this world, yes? And God's going to redeem this world, yes? The plan is not to escape. The plan is to redeem. So we find our gospels teeming with scenes of those who encountered Christ in the flesh and they had trouble grasping what Christ came to bring them. And we have lots of those stories. And they had trouble understanding because I think they had their own expectation of what Christ was going to be. And we see that in our passage today, the disciples continually offering titles for Jesus, but not quite grasping what it is or who it is he truly was. And I wonder how often we do the same thing. We have our expectation of what the faith is. We have our expectation of what God is going to do. We have our idea of what Jesus is all about. And in our effort to make God fit into our box, we end up missing so much of the life that Christ came to bring us here and now. Just, a, just maybe, right? Uh, Judah, in the days of Joel, was no different. And we heard in our passage today a lament, a cry for people to come together and be reconciled to God because Judah had become fixated on their idea of what God and the kingdom of Israel was to be all about. And it didn't go very well. And so... In their desperation, Joel said, come together and cry out to God and let us honor, honor God by humbling ourselves. Not just humbling ourselves physically, but humbling ourselves in our heart. Don't tear your robe, tear your heart. The expectation you have, be done with it. Listen to what God has to say. Oftentimes we craft what God did through Jesus based on what we want God to have done through Jesus. Hence, we approach our faith prominently focused on the destinations or after we die. But what if this isn't what Jesus had in mind at all? But if 
we consider what Jesus actually said, we might hear a different story. One of my favorite theologians, John Foreman, says, Why would I wait till I die to come alive? I'm ready now. I'm not waiting for the afterlife. It's a very clever song, one of my favorites. Paul, we hear, spoke of the right time and the day of salvation. And he said the right time is now. And the day of salvation is today. We can be reconciled right now in relationship with God and allow the kingdom of God to break forth from within us and around us. Reconciliation is what God seeks for everyone and all the earth. And we are in the business of the ministry of reconciliation. Amen? This comes through our relationship with God. And our relationship with God is known to us through the Holy Spirit, which was given to us by Jesus. Amen? We know that part of the story. And we want to experience a rebirth. We want the Spirit to spring up in us like a well to make our hearts clean, to restore the joy of salvation. Jesus walked this way on the earth and invited disciples to follow. But if we think about all that Jesus said as the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, we may be surprised to learn that Jesus didn't offer very many answers. For those who read the newsletter, do you know how many questions in all the Gospels that Jesus was asked? He was asked, that's another number, 183. 183 questions came from Jesus. Have you asked Jesus 183 questions? Probably. A lot of those were, why? Uh, what are you thinking, right? If we're honest. He answered how many of them? Three. 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 Have you had this similar experience of silence, not getting all your questions answered? Do you know how many questions Jesus asked in the Gospels? 307. So, if we take all the questions and answers and put them together, less than 1% of them are answers. And this brings some realizations. And I've heard, I've heard people respond uh, to questions and, and conversations or maybe maybe even an effort to defend their faith. Jesus is the answer. Have you heard this? Have you said it? Jesus is the answer no matter the question. I wonder, do we even know what that means? You're in a conversation with somebody and they have questions. Maybe, maybe you're defending your faith. Maybe you're just having a conversation about what something means and someone says, Jesus is the answer. And then you're the recipient. Okay, that sounds good. That sounds like a good Sunday school answer, right? Uh, sounds churchy. But what's it mean? Where do I go with that? Jesus is the answer. It's, it doesn't leave me very many places to go. And I think that Jesus wasn't interested in giving answers for the same reason. Oftentimes, I think that when we say Jesus is the answer, I wonder if we're just really saying, hush, hush, enough of the questions. Either conform, be quiet, or leave. I don't want to talk about it. Jesus is the answer. End of discussion. Mic drop. If we consider that Jesus was way more than the answer, actually he was over a hundred times more than the answer for doing the math. He was interested in providing good questions because a question invites you into a whole new world. An answer leaves you nowhere to go. A question leads you on a quest. It invites the hearer on a journey Lent is about a journey in evaluating our relationship and where we stand 
with God. And all relationships are two-way, yes? Wait, let me scratch up. All healthy relationships, all fruitful relationships are two-way relationships, yes? Yes, and it's the same with God. And if we have been in any unhealthy relationships, we might have stopped and said, let's evaluate this relationship. Let's examine. Is this a good relationship? What am I wanting out of this relationship? What am I putting into this relationship? What is the other person putting into the relationship? Good, healthy questions. Yes? Yes. And many more. Our passage offers us the opportunity to engage in relationship through the, through the disciples. And it's such a funny story, and you could kind of read through this call story and, and miss quite a bit. The disciples all approach Jesus. They don't really understand who Jesus is, what he is. They don't even quite understand what they want. But somehow they engage with Jesus in this relationship. The first two hear John say, Behold the Lamb of God, or look the Lamb of God, and, and boom, they're following. That's all they know. What they make of that, I don't know. We might have lots of different answers if we said, what does it mean that Jesus is the Lamb of God? But they follow and Jesus then turns and sees them. Jesus turns and sees them and asks, what are you looking for? And I don't know how much silence was there. We don't record that in the gospel. It just goes right to the next part. It's such a weird question, isn't it? What if Jesus asked you, what are you looking for? How would you respond? It's a question that you can't just give a yes or no answer. And if you were lost and holding a map and trying to find your way and someone came up and said, what are you looking for? Well, that, that's not really an open-ended question. That's, there's something going on there. Jesus asks you with the same idea. What are you looking for? Do you even know what you're looking for? Do you even know that you're looking for something? What are you looking for in this relationship? What would be your response? The disciples asked a question. See, they're already good disciples. They responded to the question with a question. They said, teacher, where are you staying? Now, something to know in the Bible is the disciple-rabbi relationship is all about being together, and the disciple goes wherever the rabbi goes. And let me emphasize wherever the rabbi goes. If the rabbi goes into the restroom, the disciples go into the restroom because they don't want to miss anything and they might miss an encounter in the restroom. I'm serious. They go anywhere. The idea is that the dust of the rabbi covers them because they're right on their heels always. Where are you staying, rabbi? And Jesus says, come and see. Now they call him teacher. Is he a teacher? Is he so much more? Yeah. But that's good enough for now. Jesus says, you got, you got enough. You come with me. Come and see. So then we find that Andrew, one of the two disciples, goes and finds his brother. And then the next day, Jesus has found another disciple, Philip. And Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. So parallel stories. They go and find somebody. And they say, we have found the Messiah. Or we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets. We have found him. Do you see where they've messed up? Jesus found them. They think they found Jesus. A minor detail, but kind of major in importance. And it specifically says Jesus found Philip. And yet Philip says, I found the Messiah. Now, I don't know that he knew what that meant exactly. 
again, on the right track, but his own ideas, his own expectations wrapped into what the Messiah is. So Nathaniel comes and meets Jesus, and I'm sure he was a bit of a skeptic. And Jesus says, ah, an Israelite within whom there is no deceit, which is a, an echo of Jacob. Jacob was the deceiver. Jacob means heel grabber. Did you know that? The name Jacob means heel grabber. He's a, he's a thiever. He's a con man. He deceives. That's what he does. And he was given a new name. Yes? What was Jacob's new name? Israel, right? And the new name means one who struggles with God because he wrestled God. And now he bears the name, struggles with God. Was the deceiver, now struggles with God. Nathaniel comes and he says, ah, here is someone who is not a deceiver. And Nathaniel says, how do you know me? Oh, I saw you under the tree, Nathaniel. Nathaniel's like, oh my goodness, you are God's son. You're the king of Israel. I'm thinking, Nathaniel, calm down. He saw you under a tree. Jesus says, you're impressed by that? Oh my goodness, you have no idea what's in store for you, Nathaniel. We, we find ourselves kind of like Nathaniel, kind of like Simon Peter. We think we know who we are, right? Peter was John's son. But Jesus says, you're going to be Peter. You're going to be significant. Nathaniel, I know you have no deceit. I can see into your heart, and I'm going to show you so many wonderful things. You're going to see the, the angels descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. Again, another echo of Jacob, who had a dream and saw a ladder on which angels were descending and ascending, which told Jacob, God is, God's here. God's here. God's not way somewhere else. God's here. And that changed Jacob's life. Jesus says, I'm no ladder. I am the presence of God here, here with you. And I think Nathaniel probably said, what? Jesus says, come and see. You've got, you've got enough, gentlemen. Come and see. I have so much more to show you. We are the disciples. We may know something about Jesus. We may have some of the right titles, some of the right ideas. But have we stopped growing, stopped taking in the full breadth of who Christ is, what Christ came to be and do in your life? How is your relationship with Jesus? What are you looking for? The disciples just don't get it yet. We're only in chapter one, right? We got 20 more chapters to learn. Where are you? Do you get it? Do you think you get it? If you think you get it, it's probably proof that you don't. Amen? Because we have so much more to learn. We seek to be born of God and born again, but then what? Do we know what we're looking for? Do we still think that we have found Jesus? Or do we understand that Jesus has found us and continues to find us along our way? Do we simply look for Jesus to answer our prayers and perform simple miracles, and that's enough for us? Or do we seek to experience God with us? Do we even understand what a relationship with God is all about? Or are we just in it for what we think we want down the road? Or what are you looking for? We're going to begin our Lenten journey with an acknowledgement that we are simply dust. We're mortal. We are nothing without God. And we do this to remember that God has gifted us with everlasting life out of grace and out of love through Jesus Christ. And that is good news, my friends. Amen?
So, I invite you to wrestle with God, to be Israel, that God may bring new life to you through the struggle. May we lay down our lives a little more through this season. May we even embrace the cross because we know that beyond the cross lies an empty tomb. What might Jesus have to offer you through this Lenten service, this season? What do you have to offer Jesus? Hear the invitation, friends. Come and see. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the early Christians observed with great devotion the days of our Lord's passion and resurrection, and it became the custom of the church that before the Easter celebration, there would be a 40-day season of spiritual preparation. During this season, converts to the faith were prepared for holy baptism. It was also a time when persons who had committed serious sins and had separated themselves from the community of faith were reconciled by penitence and forgiveness and restored to participation in the life of the church. In this way, the whole congregation was reminded of the mercy and forgiveness proclaimed in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the need we all have to renew our faith the need we all have to renew our faith. I invite you, therefore, in the name of the church, to observe Holy Lent by self-examination and repentance, by prayer, fasting, and self-denial, and by reading and meditating on God's holy word to make a right beginning of repentance. And as a mark of our mortal nature, let us now bow before our Creator and Redeemer. Lord, be with us as we offer our hearts. Help us to embrace the opportunity to kneel before you, to offer our hearts in humility, to be of a contrite spirit, to lower ourselves and to honor you, to seek after you, and to give ourselves to you. And Lord, you are going to bless us so richly in this process if we trust you to let go. Be with us now as we enter into the season of Lent. And may we do so for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'll offer a blessing now upon the ashes, and then you will have the opportunity to come, and and I'll, I'll just have you come as you feel led to come to receive the ashes. Receive the ashes in acknowledgement that we are mortal, that we are nothing without God, but that we are everything with God. You may kneel and pray. There will be music playing. You may 
wander, you may read, you may do what it is you feel you need to do to prepare yourself to enter in and to receive the ashes upon your head. So let us take a moment. I will offer a blessing and then we will come forward. Almighty God, you have created us out of the dust of the earth. Grant that these ashes may be to us a sign of our mortality and penitence, so that we may remember that only by your gracious gift are we given everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen.